Hey, Real Talkers, if you skip to the very end of this episode, you will find an all Tucker Carlson edition of the Flamethrower presented by our friends at the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. But before then, this episode is dedicated to those of you who are paying more now than ever before for power. For natural gas, you've never seen your utility bills so high. Your cost of borrowing is up, your groceries are up, and when the cold snaps hit, you can just feel that air seeping in through those inefficient windows as that dusty old furnace works its hardest to keep up. This episode is dedicated to those who want to save money and cut down their environmental footprint. Let's go. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We want to welcome you to this special edition of Real Talk. Once a week, we present our Real Talk Roundtable, and today we're talking about energy affordability, energy efficiency. How much have you heard about energy poverty? You may understand the concept of it based on the name. Same as me, but it's not something I've talked about very frequently. That's going to change today. We had some numbers sent to us by an organization. You're going to hear from their leadership as part of this roundtable discussion today that were quite shocking. Now, here's the context. In Canada, families who spend more than 6% of their income on energy bills are experiencing energy poverty, more than 6% of their income on energy bills. Now, what does that represent when it comes to real numbers? In our home province of Alberta, 64,000 families in Calgary, 50 thousand families in Edmonton alone and we're not even talking about the other cities and towns and rural jurisdictions a big shout out to all of you today but those families are experiencing energy poverty so what options do they have keep all the lights off keep the heat down below where it's comfortable for the kids and the elderly come on right there's got to be other solutions we're going to endeavor to find them today we're going to be talking to three experts, three change makers who understand and are facilitating steps that you can take to improve your energy efficiency and spend less. That's coming up in just a quick second. First, we wanted to let you know that this episode is presented by our friends at Rello. If you've been dreaming about starting a new career, being your own boss, launching and then running a thriving business and leaving cubicle life behind for good. If you're looking for all that plus unlimited earning potential, a career in real estate could be your perfect match. You can get started today by enrolling with Rello. That's Alberta's top real estate school. They want to support you every step of the way from studying for your exam to getting your license. And plus, it goes way beyond that. Plus, with Rello, you can study 100% online, which means it's guaranteed to work with your schedule. And there's a great incentive right now for real talkers. If you're looking to get that real estate career kick started, save 20% off any Rello course today with the promo code REALTALK. That's all one word, REALTALK at Rello, R-E-L-O. That's Rello.ca. Jesse Rowe is joining us from Alberta Energy Efficiency Alliance. Sean Miller joining us from Kubi Renewable Energy. You know, you hear about them all the time here on Real Talk. And Rod Ruff is joining us, uh, a leadership 
team member at the Alberta Ecotrust Foundation. To the three of you, a warm welcome to the show. Rod, why don't we get you to set the table for this conversation? When we talk about Canadians living in energy poverty, why don't we talk about where the numbers are now, where they may be worth three or five or, or 10 years ago, and of course, the impact it's having on everyday families. Yeah, thanks, Ryan, and thanks for the introduction um, on the issue and the, and the numbers that we shared with you in advance. I think um, one thing I'd like to highlight is that those numbers that we provided with the 64,000 families in Calgary and 50,000 in Edmonton, I mean, those were from 2019. Um, as most Albertans know, we've been facing record energy um, and electricity prices over the last few years. Um, um, and so I would actually expect if we had newer data that those numbers would be um, quite higher. Um, and that um, this also goes in tandem with, you know, the general affordability crisis that we're facing across society, both in terms of, um, you know, affordable housing um, and costs related to food um, and ba basically everything. And so Alberta Ecotrust, um, we've been zeroing in uh, on this issue, especially with respect to lower income households. We have a program that we launched um, earlier last year. That in partnership with Campbell Energy Group that provides fully subsidized energy retrofits to lower income households in Calgary and Edmonton. And so we've been retrofitting and renovating houses in Calgary and Edmonton uh, to improve their affordability. Um, also, at the same time, we recognize that it's actually improving the comfort and safety of those homes and reducing emissions and helping those cities achieve their climate uh, climate objectives. And so uh, that program is still available. Thank you for showing it. It's called the Home Upgrades Program. Uh, people who do live in these cities uh, can participate and go and see if they are a, a fit. It is income tested. And again, it is fully subsidized. So that means for those low income homes, they get a, a complete, get completely paid for, which is kind of a different than uh, some of the other programs out there that are rebate oriented or finance oriented. Uh, this is really tailored for those low income homes who don't have the financial capacity to update their homes on their own. This is a huge opportunity, right? To, to, to be clear, like w w if you're accepted, uh, into this program, we're, we're talking about some pretty significant upgrades, right? Can, can you can you quickly run us through it? Yeah, um, you know, we do an assessment of the home. Um, so it is tailored to the individual home and what's the best fit based on the structure and also uh, the bill, utility bills that they're facing. It can be anything from furnace upgrades to windows to insulation, um, air sealing, you name it. Um, anything's um, kind of on the table. Uh, upgrades can be upwards of ten to $20,000. Um, and it is, again, like I said, fully covered. Okay, so that's one option. And people, by the way, can check out homeupgradesprogram.ca. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes to make it nice and easy for everybody. Uh, but we wanted to get three change makers here, and we want to give our audience members a whole bunch of ideas and a whole bunch of options on, on what they can do to, to cut down their costs, to improve their, their efficiencies, obviously to cut down their carbon footprint. Uh, Jesse, the name of the organization, the Alberta Energy Efficiency Alliance, kind of in a way gives us an idea of what the group does but but can you give us a sense of how it all works who's working together and, and maybe some of the wins that you're seeing yeah absolutely happy to uh join the the conversation today uh so us as an organization uh we're actually more focused on uh, creating change within the uh policy environment within uh, the province uh, uh right now alberta is the only province across canada that doesn't have these types of programs um funded annually year over year through the utility system and, and the reason why every other province and down into the states and internationally they do it through the utility system is because what they found is if they invest a very small portion of the utility bill say you know in some places it's just one to two percent of the utility bill they invested into these types of supports for consumers what ends up happening is the cost of the utility system becomes less overall 
And so it's got a positive return on investment. And that what they found is that, hey, wait a minute, this is a good idea. We should be investing a small portion of those bills, not just into you know poles and wires and upstream infrastructure, but supporting customers with energy efficiency, like Rod was talking about. There's some programs that actually will pay people to turn down their energy when we've got really high demand. So we saw just two weeks ago uh, the value of that. Um, and instead of sending out emergency alerts uh, via everyone's uh, cell phones, they'll sign people up for programs ahead of time. And they'll say, if you are willing to and able to uh, turn down uh, when we need it most, we'll actually compensate you uh, for that. And they found by doing that, it's cheaper than uh, just, you know, uh, not not supporting consumers uh, in that way. And so as an organization, we're, we're really focused on how do we approach um, uh, that kind of uh, uh, system within Alberta it needs to be, you know, regulated into the into the, um, uh, the the rules of the system. The Alberta Utilities Commission, they're the ones who are responsible for overseeing the system. They need to have a role in it distribution utilities, the system operator, uh, retailers, I think they all have a role. We look at other jurisdictions, they're all playing a role in supporting customers in these ways. And so that's where we're focused right now is how do we um, you know, take programs like this and actually institutionalize them in a way that's gonna support all customers, all customer types, not just low income, but also uh, all, all different kinds of households, all different kinds of businesses, small, medium and large, um, and, and really uh, reduce the utility bills across the board and become more economically competitive uh, from that perspective. Jesse, obviously, we know that people will listen to this episode like today. Uh, people will watch it like a couple of days from now, but then people will also watch it like a year from now. So so let's remind everyone that we are all talking here today, you know, I, a week or two out of a, a pretty significant cold snap where a large part of the country saw in some circumstances, record setting temperatures, uh, people that don't flinch at minus 20, we're all of a sudden seeing minus 40 for the first time in a long time. Like you said, prompting emergency alerts, the the threat, you know, Alberta on the precipice of rolling blackouts. We, we recognize the vulnerability of our grid. So there's that. And then you've also got the fact that, that the average utility cost in Alberta is up a uh, uh, whopping, uh, in some circumstances, triple digits for people. Some people are paying 125% more for utilities or even more than that than they were before. So you've almost got a perfect storm. Do you get the sense that stakeholders, government representatives, members of the general public are more open to talking about this, more motivated to talking about this than maybe even they were a year ago? Well, I think we've definitely got lots of reasons for motivation. You just outlined a, a number of them. Um, my worry is that we'll you know, uh, go through this period of, of challenge, extreme challenges over the last, say, uh, 18 months, and we'll say, well, that was really hard. Let's make some tweaks around the edges. And then, you know, we've got a couple of power plants coming online this year. Oh, wait a minute. It's not as bad. Um, it's, it's not as big of a crisis as, as it was, uh, you know, say a year or two ago. And then we'll do the exact same thing five or 10 years from now, because we didn't re really um, do all the things we could have to improve the system. And I'm so, so I'm hoping that we're going to look at this um, challenging space that we've been going through and saying, well, let's do more than just tweaks around the edges. Uh, for us, our real focus is well, how do we support consumers and empower them and get them involved in the system in a way that they can um, lower their utility bills and actually support the system uh, through things like uh, you know the demand response programs I was talking about, where they can actually 
get paid to help improve the reliability of the system. Uh, Sean Miller is joining us from Kubi Renewable Energy. Uh, everybody that watches or listens to Real Talk knows that the Kubi is an incredible partner of ours, and, and we've talked a lot uh, about that Canada Greener Homes grant. So, you know, we're, we're hearing from Rod about this income-tested home upgrades program, which fills a real need uh, and obviously has huge value for people that otherwise probably wouldn't be able to afford a lot of these efficiency upgrades. Um, and, th- and then there's the, some other incentives that are that are you know, structured a little bit differently, Sean, where anybody really who's interested in, in, um, you know, putting up some cash for improving the efficiency of their home can see subsidies from the feds, uh, many cases uh, from municipalities like Edmonton, the city of Edmonton has had a, has had a a solar rebate as well. What have you seen uh, as someone in that space, as somebody in that business, uh, when it comes to uptake, when it comes to the value of those incentives, uh, do they actually move the needle on the number of people that go green, so to speak? Yeah, I appreciate that, Ryan. And and just firstly, Rod, I think that's an excellent program you guys are spearheading. And, and Jesse, what you propose there seems like some fantastic, innovative ideas. So, yeah, I appreciate those insights. Um, for the average consumer, I think, you know, the fiscal upfront cost is one of the biggest issues to adopting energy efficiency and renewable energy. So, yeah, some of the programs like that City of Edmonton Solar or rebate the Canada Greener Homes grant, you know, we're obviously seeing them highly adopted because they're running out of funds and they're kind of slowing down and stopping because of the funding issue. So I think a lot of people are interested in converting to solar. And when we have kind of those fiscal crutches to help them along with the grants and different financing programs, then that really helps a lot. So we have Rod. This this uh, home upgrades program. There, there's something changing this week, isn't there? Is 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 it because we understand like a lot of these programs, a lot of these incentives, um, oftentimes need to be topped up by the governments that are funding them because they get oversubscribed, which is a good thing. Um, my understanding is that you've had close to a thousand families, something like 800 families uh, that have applied already out of Edmonton and Calgary um, for this for for the high efficiency furnace, the attic insulation, the air sealing. Uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, do you get to a point where you go at some point we're we're going to need to top up the funding for this as well? And and how tough of an ask is that to government? Um, well, it's a it's a pretty significant ask. I think with this program, we were really trying to create the infrastructure for something that could be scaled to be provincial in manner and also to incorporate a lot more homes. So this initial pilot was funded primarily by the city of Calgary, city of Edmonton. And then uh, Albert Ecotrust ourselves raised a lot of money from philanthropic contributions um, which isn't necessarily uh, sustainable over time. And so we do need uh, a, a mechanism to fund this work over the long term. Uh, that connects a bit to what Jesse's talking about, whether it could be through the utility system. There are also opportunities for this to be connected with general poverty alleviation funding, um, either through the provincial or municipal governments. And so, yeah, we raised enough money, $2 million to do 200 homes. We do consider that just to be a start. Um, we do think this program to, to, could scale to thousands of homes across Alberta um, with the right amount of funding, but that would have to come from different levels of government, uh, probably working in cooperation with each other to kind of see this through. Yeah, I, I'd be curious to pick all your brains on this. Rod, I'll go back to you and then we'll just go around the round table. But but how tough of an ask is that? Like, do you, do you find that government, I mean, I understand the, the philanthropy side, that's great. If somebody wants to donate $10 million to get a whole bunch of homes uh, more energy efficient. I mean, God bless them. But for the most part, you look at governments right now that are on the municipal side, they're trying to keep property tax increases low on the provincial side. 
well, that's a bit of a different story. We've we've looked at record set or at least healthy, healthy surplus uh, on the provincial side for a while. So maybe we'll spend some time talking about the province of Alberta and then the feds as well, uh, where, you know, you have a current federal government. I think that's that's uh, tuned into these types of things, but also it costs money and also they got to distribute uh, that funding equitably across the country. So, so what goes into the advocacy on this? Can you take us behind the scenes? Well, behind the scenes, I think we're really trying to make the case to kind of achieve multiple benefits and achieve multiple societal outcomes that the governments are looking for. Uh, so obviously with the Home Upgrades Program, affordability is paramount. That's really on the top of minds of decision makers kind of across the board right now. Uh, of course, we do have, uh, you know, things like Jesse was talking about, questions about grid resiliency um, and how we can, you know, lower the pressure on the grid. Uh, things like the Home Upgrades Program contribute to that as well. And of course, we have these climate objectives. We do have, you know, a consensus across all levels of government to achieve carbon neutrality by 2050. Um, and so we locate this program within those kind of three major priorities of the government. And we do think there's a strong case to be made that, um, you know, Investing in the home upgrades program is a great way to kind of achieve all of these objectives. Do you find uh, like do we get to a point, uh, Jesse, where where governments say, eh, we, we've rolled out the incentives. We've done our part to educate the public. You know, now it's over to them. Now, now it's over to individuals to to operate out of conviction, to feel deeply that they should decrease their carbon footprint like is is there a, is there a sense of our job and this is done or our role and this is done or do you think it's easy to talk to governments about continuing commitments and sustained funding yeah i think the uh, sustained funding through governments is one of the hardest things to do yeah. uh we've actually seen um you know over the last 20 years uh, in alberta we've had climate change central funded through government come and go we've had energy efficiency alberta funded through government come and go it happens at the federal level as well. Um, they had their Energy program in the early 2000s. They've got their Greener Homes program right now, which we've just recently heard. You know, they're they're not sure they're going to be able to continue that. Um, and so, uh, for us as an organization, our industry association um, is trying to get off of the 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 boom bust roller coaster that we see from from government funding. And, and I, I, I applaud the work that Rod's doing with EcoTrust and, and what uh, you were talking about, uh, Ryan, earlier with the work that the municipalities are doing. And, and we do see funding come into these programs, but it's always uh, a fixed amount of money for a fixed amount of time. And that's the opposite of what they do in other places. So in other places, there's been programs that have been running since the 70s and 80s. Um, and the reason they're able to sustain over decades is because they put the funding source as close as possible to the benefit, and that's the utility bill. And so, like I said before, is 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 attaching it to the utility bill so that we say, all right, um, um, uh, regulator, you are now responsible for not only overseeing spending on the supply side of the system, poles and wires and all that upstream infrastructure, but uh, if the re regulated utilities come to you and say, you know what, I think we can save more money um, and invest less into the system if we support customers with saving energy. And we know this works because it's been done for, for decades. And what regulators have done is they've said, okay, show, show me, you know, you, you can have a pilot, you can try it out, you can show me, uh, you know, what that benefit is. And when they come back with the results, the regulators um, in most cases have said, well, that's really good. I, I want more of that because that's bringing down the total cost of the system. And so what we've seen is, is a steady increase in investment uh, across the country. So right now across Canada, not including Alberta, but all the other provinces, they're investing over a billion dollars every year into customer support programs like the one that Rod's talking about. 
In the United States, it's almost $10 billion every year that they're investing into it because the return on investment is about seven times that amount. And so if we were to do that in Alberta, um, we would get off that boom bust roller coaster of government funding and we would have uh, sustained long-term funding for these types of programs uh, where you've got programming for low income, you got programming for um, uh, residential, you got programming for renters, small and medium-sized businesses, large businesses, industrial facilities. That's, I think, where we need to go because, I mean, our members are, are tired of the boom bust roller coaster. I don't know, look, Sean's tired of the boom bust roller coaster, but I'd love to get off of it. Uh, because uh, that boom bust is really hard for industry and the product and service providers that are trying to help customers with all of these, uh, with reducing their utility bills. And so um, stability is so important for business. That's what we need in terms of these customer supports as well. They do it everywhere else. We should be doing that in Alberta too. Sean, let's talk about that because people, uh, you know, someone's going to say, well, this sounds like just a big commercial for Kubi. Uh, yeah, we're partners with Kubi. So let's point out because I because I do this all the time when I talk about your business, uh, people can check out kubienergy.ca. You don't just do residential. Uh, you guys do massive industrial projects, commercial projects, agricultural projects. You know, you're the ones that put the panels on the Edmonton Convention Center, Red Deer Polytechnic. You, you, you've done a lot of work. I mean, the, the Banff Rome Trans Transit Garage, the Blue Quill Community League, a bunch of churches, KC Twin Arena, Fort Mackay First Nations Arena. Everybody saw that first net zero fire hall in Canada. You guys did that one, just finished that project in Edmonton. So you've, you've seen it. You've seen industry take it up. You've seen commercial properties. You've seen a lot of post-secondary institutions. And then, of course, a lot of residential projects as well. People are coming at this from different angles. A family that doesn't have a ton of disposable income, but that wants to put solar on their roof, is in a different position than the Edmonton Convention Center that can probably find the funds to put it in there. So you've got to, you've got to have different ways to compel the decision makers to take those steps what do you see working on those different levels? Like, like, like when, when, when we hear about from Jesse incentives and when we hear about, you know, what actually moves the needle, what moves the needle for a commercial entity or an industrial entity or for families for that matter? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think a lot of people want to invest in these kind of technologies like solar if they have the opportunity to. And the business case is, is getting really viable these days, right? Like you said, electricity prices are continuing to rise. That doesn't seem to be a trend that's slowing. So kind of the, the savings aspect is, is growing pretty substantially. And the cost of solar, you know, over COVID increased a bit, but we're starting to see the decline again. So I think the opportunities there, the federal government in terms of Funding programs has been stepping up pretty immensely on the commercial level. They have a 30% off investment tax credit, which is moving the needle for a lot of commercial customers now. And that kind of just kicked off. So I think this year onward, we're going to see a lot more adoption from kind of the industry and the larger commercial projects. Um, we also have this carbon offset market right in Alberta, and that funds a lot of these programs as well. And, and for a residential homeowner or commercial entity, you know, they can... Uh, sell those carbon offsets in the secondary market for additional revenue as well. And that goes to fund other kind of renewable or green projects. So I think that's a, a good way to incentivize and build more programs. And something that the, the city of Edmonton and um, when we had other incentive programs in the past, what they do to structure it, which is kind of creative, is they take the ownership of that carbon offset credit in exchange of the customer and they give them that upfront rebate. So that actually looks attractive and it actually doesn't cost them a lot of money because they're still achieving that carbon offset benefit down the line. So, 
Good. What, what what do you make of that, Rod? Do, 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 like, is that a move in the right direction in your assessment? I mean, are, are we on the right path here? Bigger picture? Are we going to look back in five or ten years and go, we were doing this right, or do we or, or do we need to rethink it? No, I I I agree. I think we're we're definitely on the right path. I just think what we're missing in a lot of cases are things like what Jesse's talking about, like those system level interventions that can be sustained over time and help drive down costs and also provide that certainty to, you know, whether it's building owners, trades and everyone to kind of embrace this way of working. I think there's also a tendency, you know, when we talk about this and we talk about incentives to think, you know, just in terms of rebates, like you're getting a check, uh, but there's multiple ways that government can incent this work. Uh, for example, we support a lot of commercial building owners um, you know, this is different than the home upgrades program, which is really focused on low income single family households. But, you know, there's programs like the Canada Housing Corporations, um, it's called the MLI Select program, which provides, you know, really good uh, financing terms to building owners who want to meet certain affordability or energy efficiency criteria. So they get higher loan to value ratios, longer amortizations uh, for incorporating that into their work. And we're seeing a lot of building owners, you know, take that on as they try and upgrade their buildings or actually do new developments. And so it's not always just a check from the government to someone to do something good. There's multiple ways that government can work uh, with building owners and people and industry to do this. Uh, for any three of you, feel free to jump in on this. Anecdotally, uh, you know, oftentimes personal stories are, are the most powerful tool uh, to help you know, talk show audience members understand where people are coming from. It's so easy for me to just rattle off stats like 6% of Canadians are living in energy poverty or 65,000 or 68,000 families in Calgary are living in energy poverty. But, but how is that actually translating? Like, what does that actually mean? What, what, what's a week in the life of a family that's living in energy poverty? Uh, you look like you might want to jump back in, Rod. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, this you can't understate you know the kind of the kind of pressure that households might be facing at this time and how that builds on them and what that does to you know both their mental health and their overall well-being if you know that your furnace isn't working um you know you have you know this giant bill that's kind of just sitting there and you're trying to make it work it's not unusual to see households who are finding like you said unique ways around it whether you know just firing up some heating dishes in some in some of their rooms to kind of lower their costs which might may or not actually work um, and so it's it's when we talk about the home upgrades program, you know, one thing we see when we talk to homeowners is, um, you know, there's the immense gratitude um, that, you know, this giant burden and um, anxiety has been removed from their from their life. And you can't um, understate how important that is to, you know, the well-being of these people. Um, and, 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 you know, I've, I've seen contractors and homeowners crying as they do the work together uh, because they really feel a sense of community um, and, you know, kind of binding together and, and helping each other out. And I think that's kind of what really stands out to me. And as an organization, we do a lot of climate change and environmental work. That work tends to be a bit abstract. We often are talking, you know, about policy, regulations or things. But, uh, you know, seeing the human element uh, of how we can kind of bind together and, and help each other out is, is really significant. Yeah, your group, Alberta Ecotrust, maybe I didn't do it justice in introducing you because we went sort of straight to the home upgrades program but it's it's uh it's got a lot of layers to it i was i was reading up on it it's uh it seems to me to be uh, an organization that operates with a deep conviction How, what's your what's your elevator pitch how do you describe it in 30 seconds to somebody that's never heard of it sure well we're an organization an environmental charity that's been operating in alberta for more than 30 years we're focused on creating a positive impact in pursuit of a low carbon and nature abundant future. 
Uh, we work collaboratively across sectors, so that includes business, government, nonprofits, and citizens, to work and address our most pressing environmental challenges. We're the first ever organization with a primary focus of funding environmental projects in Alberta. And so that means we get to support uh, and deliver projects like the ones we've been describing today. We can also provide funding to organizations like Jesse, who do really important work that also aligns with our focus areas. And we also act as an investor, so we can actually uh, deploy capital from our endowment into enterprises and projects that can reduce emissions in Alberta. Huh. Interesting comment from Jordan here in our YouTube live chat. Jordan's not really wrong. Says Alberta's infrastructure deficit will forever prevent any type of real surplus. Um, I remember our last couple of Alberta municipalities roundtables. We've talked about Alberta's $30 billion infrastructure uh, deficit. And it, it really is a serious issue. They're asking for $2 billion right now to try to address it in some Alberta communities. You can always search our archive, uh, the Real Talk podcast and YouTube archive for more on those. And I also wanted to point out that back in the day, um, I, I know that, uh, Rod, you and your team have, have worked uh, significantly with the, uh, the Cambo group. And uh, back on November 17th, we presented uh, a Real Talk roundtable. People can search for the title, 30% of Canadians can't afford to live. That was the statistic that became evident through this conversation with these three difference makers, and, and uh, including uh, the leadership at, at Campbell. And boy, does she ever do a great work, Yasmin Abraham uh, at Campbell Energy Group. But but it, it was just it was a striking and shocking number. Uh, you know, one in three, one in three Canadians right now are reporting whether it's their utility costs. The grocery costs piling on, insurance costs on the rise, the cost of borrowing, which means their variable rate mortgages are going up. I'm not trying to stress people out right now in going through the checklist of everything that costs more. Uh, but this is just, quite frankly, uh, Jesse, and I probably don't have to tell you this, more of an issue now than I think it has been in recent memory. And I think that's the safest thing I've said on the show all week. Would you agree? Well, these are all the issues that we need to be thinking about when we're also thinking about energy efficiency. And, and people don't make that connection normally, right? Is they're like, oh yeah, energy efficiency, that sounds nice, but I've got other things that I'm worrying about right now. And infrastructure deficit provincially is tied to it as well. And people say, well, how is that tied to it? And, and I keep coming back to the fact that um, our utility system is more expensive than it needs to be because we haven't been investing into these programs the same as other provinces, the same as other state, you know, down in the US, we haven't been doing the same. And so if we were to be doing that over the last 20 years, which we, which we haven't been to the same degree, but if we were, the cost of our whole utility system would be less, the cost of our utility bills would be less. And guess what? You've got, then got more uh, funds, disposable income to be able to uh, spend on other things. And so this is a drag on cost of living. It's a drag on the cost of doing business in the province. And we need to fix that. It's not going to uh, change the whole world for us, but it's one of the many things that we need to do to unlock more funds for all of those other things you just mentioned, Ryan. Yeah. Sean, did you see like when you see, you know, the cost of borrowing increase, I mean, you see people's household budgets tighten. Do you get fewer calls at QB? Like does someone go, I'm paying way more for my energy, so I need to get solar up on my roof? Or do they go, ah, life costs more. I got to wait a year before I put solar on my roof. Wh which direction do they go? Yeah, I think we see a lot of consumers that look at it a lot more closely too, and they're looking at all their expenses. Uh, just a tip for everyone before I kind of go into the full response. The easiest thing you can do is just shop your electricity rate around. A lot of people are on variable electricity rates, which can be quite high depending on the month. If you shop around, find a good fixed low electricity rate. That's an easy way to save some money on those monthly bills. Um, but what we're seeing is when you take advantage of this 0% interest-free loan from the Canada Greener Homes Grant, and with some people's electricity costs, 
when they invest in solar after the grant, it's almost like they're paying the same amount for that interest-free loan as they're saving on their power bill. So even ones that don't have a lot of sparring income can still take advantage of it. So we don't see too much of a dip lately. We're actually seeing quite a bit of uh, increase in, in solar year to year still. Oh, that's, I mean, it's good to hear. Obviously it's good for you guys. Uh, what, what does that say to you? What message does that send to you? Because solar's had its detractors, right? I know you guys are never afraid to talk about it. Uh, you know, people question the efficiency of it uh, in a jurisdiction that gets, yeah, a ton of sunlight in the summer and not as much in the winter. People question what they've heard about the, the, the lifespan of the solar panels, about battery storage. Uh, but I know that there's obviously been big improvements in that technology recently as well. Are public attitudes growing along with that? Yeah, I mean, I started in this industry almost 10 years ago and the mindset of the average consumer was was much different than it is today. I think the, the more that solar gets adopted globally, uh, a lot of that technology trust starts to uh, kind of borrow into people's minds and they, and they stop seeing it as a, as a new technology, but one that's very trusted and, and proven. So, yeah, I think that, that aspect's been changing a lot and it, it helps when, uh, you know, the fiscal and the economic payback is, is substantial to homeowners too. Um, so I think both aspects are starting to hit kind of a, a perfect storm and, and a lot of people are able to adopt it. But yeah, like, like everyone was saying, consistency is always key. So when programs come and go that help a lot of people adopt it, it does change the psychology of a consumer and, and things do kind of dip and um, kind of peak in valleys along the way. Okay. Now we promised our audience uh, in, in promoting this roundtable that we were going to give them tips to cut their costs, to improve their efficiencies, whatever that may be. Um, and so I want to give the three of you a minute to think about it. And when we come back, we're going to go around the Real Talk roundtable. And this is, this is going to be something that you're going to leave this audience to walk with and to think about and ideally to implement so when we come back, we're, we're going to go to our three panelists today. That's Sean Miller with Kubi Energy, Jesse Rowe with the Alberta Energy Efficiency Alliance, and Rod Ruff with the Alberta Ecotrust Foundation. And we're going to save you some money, and we're going to cut your power costs, and we're going to decrease our carbon footprint. That's our mandate. That's kind of our call to action, I guess you might call it. This episode of Real Talk is happening with the support of sponsors like our friends at Eden Landscaping, and they want to be part of this conversation around energy efficiency and planet friendliness there's evidence all around us that the climate and weather patterns are changing we see it in the form of drought and floods fires obviously that's influencing intuitive landscape design and that's why it's important to go with a landscape designer and contractor that understands the trends and why they're happening the team at eden is evolving their designs when it comes to the plants that they're installing when it comes to the irrigation the drainage systems that their customers are asking for how they're using water features or retaining walls you name it working with eden landscaping is a step in the right direction when it comes to decreasing your carbon footprint you can learn more about that angle of it by making contact with them via their website that's eden landscaping at landscape edmonton .ca. are you craving comfort food this weekend look no further then Friesen Brothers, you know, for more than 70 years, an Alberta-owned, Alberta-grown, family-owned company that understands that families are trying to stretch their dollars as far as they can while still putting 
good food on the table. If you go to their website, Friesen.com, under the recipes link, you're going to see some amazing ideas to cook, taste, and be inspired, including one of my favorite dishes of all time, shepherd's pie. They've got a great recipe for slow cooker barbecue ribs, homemade chili, beef stroganoff, cranberry balsamic chicken thighs and drumsticks, and the list goes on. They've even got videos you can watch to help you make it absolutely perfectly. And don't forget, February 1st is the next time you can save 15% off every grocery purchase of $75 or more at Friesen Brothers. If you're feeling inspired by all this talk about where industry's going and you're thinking about maybe a new job opportunity, but you need to level up your education first, tens of thousands of Canadians trust Athabasca University for good reason, because it's designed so you can complete your education wherever and whenever it works for you. If you go to AthabascaU.ca, you'll be able to read about the AU Advantage and understand that application process, including some Indigenous studies and support options, financial aid that may be available It's never been easier to move forward with Athabasca University at AthabascaU.ca. We're hanging out with Jesse Rowe from the Alberta Energy Efficiency Alliance, Sean Miller from Kubi Energy, and Rod Ruff from the Alberta Ecotrust Foundation. Sean, why don't we go to you first? We always love to wrap up our Real Talk roundtables with something to think about, something to ruminate on, and, and maybe something that might, quite frankly, change somebody's life. What's your focus? What's your angle today? Yeah, so I think the easiest thing is shop your electricity retailer. Everyone absolutely should do that. Beyond that, you know, reach out to Kubi Energy. Like, honestly, we do free solar energy proposals. For some people, uh, you are a net benefit starting out of the gate with the grant and the interest-free loan that you're using. Sometimes that's less than what you're paying monthly on electricity. So there's, there's no harm in looking at it and seeing if it makes sense for you. Good stuff. Jesse, how about you? Yeah, I was going to say, if you've got an attic, uh, check and see how much insulation you got up there. Uh, if you don't have 15 inches, uh, add some. <laughs> That's probably the easiest thing you could do if you if you have an attic. Uh, obviously, lots of people move into LED lights. Uh, if you don't have LED lights, if you still got the incandescent ones that are really hot when you touch them, um, get some LEDs, uh, smart thermostats, programmable thermostats. Uh, those are all relatively low cost ways, good return on investment. And and if you're going to do a big upgrade to your house, if you're replacing your siding, for example, um, you know, insulation underneath the siding, air sealing uh, as well. Um, those are great things to do when you're already making uh, some upgrades to the property. Hey, Jesse, what percentage of homeowners and renters do you think have checked their attic in the last 24 months? Yeah, I'm, per- I'm pretty sure I'm the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might be right. All right, Rod, uh, from the Alberta Ecotrust Foundation, we'll give last word to you. Yeah, you're, you're not alone, Jesse. I actually tried to do my attic insulation by myself two Christmases ago, and I would never recommend anyone do that. But um, uh, to your question, Ryan, I guess, of course, um, if there's listeners who who are really struggling um, and to, to pay their, their energy bills, Again, I'd, I'd direct them to homeupgradesprogram.ca to get in touch with uh, the team at Cambo Energy and see if they are fit for the program. I, I would also just like to kind of, you know, build off what Jesse said. I think, um, you know, for the average listener, we actually know that, you know, people in Canada love to upgrade their homes. Like, you know, one in three Canadians are doing some renovation work <laughs> in their homes <laughs> on an annual basis and uh, have a conversation with your contractor for whatever you're doing to see if this is a good time to make energy efficiency improvements. Because if you're doing something like uh, working on your roof or working on your side and working on your basement, this is a great time to add energy efficiency improvements at a fraction of the cost of doing them on their own. 
Awesome. And and I will refer people that have made it to this point in the roundtable again back to our November 17th roundtable featuring Yasmin Abraham from Cambo Energy Group as well. A wonderful conversation. Uh, it was actually three panelists taking part in that IRPP panel trying to bring down the cost of living for Canadians. That was the November 17th episode of Real Talk. Our thanks to Rod Ruff, Sean Miller and Jesse Rowe. Thanks for doing this and thanks for the work that you're doing and getting this planet back to green. We appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. You bet. Putting Infamous on the spot. When is the last time that you checked the attic? (laughs) I didn't, but now I'm going to. Because (laughs) we we have a little problem. Well, actually, our problem is in the lower floor of our townhouse. We uh, It's just a little colder down there. So we actually, we're going to be ordering uh, like the door kind of jams the door. Oh, yeah. Uh, I would love to get up in our attic because I know it's not that big, but I, but I feel for people who are going to go up there in the larger homes because those things can be, be a maze up there. But yeah, that's that's probably a good tip that I should do as well because our energy, I've been telling people on the show for months, it, I had to put like a cap on it. Like I, I pay a certain amount a month and then at the end right. of the year, if I owe, I, I owe. If I get a credit, I get a credit. So I, f- I feel for everyone else who's, who's on these variable rates uh, plans right now. You remember we we back in the day, um, you know, we had a, a wonderful partner on the show for a long time. Uh, our friends at Park Power, happy to say their name still, and uh, and I know that a lot of real talkers took advantage of signing up for them and kind of getting ahead. Nobody. Well, maybe some people did, but a lot of people didn't see this coming, mm. how energy costs were going to get out of control. Yeah. And, I, and I find myself, you know me, and I'm and the real talk on this, and I say this to, to our beloved audience all the time, is like, I'm, I just am always behind on stuff. <laughs> I'm like, be honest, Johnny, tell people like I'm very disorganized. I'm uh, very disorganized. I always say both of us are like and, that. We're like Usher. <laughs> we're like, seconds left. We show up, you know, before right. we're supposed right. to do something. So the point is like, unless like, when is the deadline? Well, uh, then I'll make sure I get started right before the deadline on mm. something. And so the point is to get on board with something like, you know, sign up for this energy rate and yeah. make sure that you protect yourself. It's always to me. That's not as any emer- as much of an emergency mm-hmm. as like get this done or get that done or get your taxes filed or clean clean up the boot room yeah. or top up your tires or you get the idea. Yeah. And so if it wasn't for that partnership and it wasn't for their advocacy, that's honestly yeah. something that would have been off my radar. Yeah. And I just know for a fact that there's millions of people like me, and I know for a fact that there's a ton of people that are paying way more for power, for natural gas, whatever, then they have to of course. because they're not taking a few minutes to look into the programs um, or the structured you know, fees that are available. I'm going to admit I didn't look at it until it was too late, till things were like I was noticing like 128% exactly. Like you weren't that getting increase. as good of an I looked offer, at my bill. Yeah. I'm like, this is it used to be 180 something dollars. Now it's close to 400. I was like, what's going on? But I will reference the discourse. Uh, Blake Schaffer. Because uh, yeah, you, you had some doom and gloom there being about everything costing more. He did say on the podcast with uh, Erica Baroudis and Cheryl Oates that uh, there will be some relief with these variable rates coming after February. So if you want to check out the discourse, it was an all energy episode. Uh, went up yesterday, Thursday, 5 a.m. Uh, mountain time. Yeah, I don't know why you guys are doing that 5 a.m. thing. That's absolutely <laughs> wild. You guys are going to be. Uh, but it was a great it was a great chat. And he talked about the grid and he talked about, you know, all these words we hear, these flash words, base load and the grid. And uh, he really just explained it in layman's terms. So if you want to check out the discourse up on YouTube or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, 
Uh, a great episode, Power Play, How to Fix Alberta's Grid. Nice little shout out to our friends at the Discourse. Of course, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and, and find it on YouTube. Blake Schaefer, a uh, University of Calgary economist. Let's keep that up so everyone can see us like that episode live. Let everyone know how much it means to us <laughs> when you like our stuff. Maybe, maybe we should explain that, but let's take a quick second. By the way, coming up, an all Tucker Carlson edition of The Flamethrower. Uh, with apologies to Richard, who wrote us a very compelling flamethrower submission taking huge swings at me and Charles Adler and Richard you were going to headline the flamethrower today but then Tucker Carlson visited town and then real talkers started chiming in so you're going to have to wait but we've not thrown it in the trash or in the recycling uh, we're hanging on to it and you will be featured next week but when we ask you to like like and share and subscribe our stuff if you're a fan of real talk and if you think what we're talking about should be heard or seen by more people it's not because we're like in a Sally Field Oscars acceptance kind of a you like us you really like us but it's just because that's the way the algorithm works so so the more chat there is on the live chat the more likes the more shares the more that youtube is going to amplify that show and put it on people's radar so if you really believe that we're doing something important the tiniest little step you can take by clicking like on something goes a really long way mm-hmm. for us and we really appreciate that our tucker highlight yesterday is is going off i went to sleep and i was i woke up this morning i'm like twenty thousand views already yeah. in one day well you know what let me so. maybe we should mention that because because you know when people go to our youtube channel uh, when you go see our home page on youtube with with real talk ryan jesperson you'll see obviously our full episodes you can find those you know yesterday i recapped the tucker carlson show and then we talked to dustin nielsen about the uh, five pro hockey players that have requested leave from their teams that are expected to surrender to london police before that of course we talked to mayor sohi out of edmonton uh, counselor tim cartmel about that armed gunman the, the oh the, you know the active shooter at city hall the day before that can alberta become the wind capital of Canada. You can find those full episodes, but then we've got our YouTube shorts as well, which is, you know, 60 seconds or less, just the absolute best. And then relatively new on our YouTube homepage is our highlights. And some of our highlights, like yesterday, my recap of Tucker Carlson that has 18,000 views, uh, you know, no big deal, uh, 24 minutes. But before that, remember, remember that email we got about Alberta as a meat grinder, three minutes of one of the best emails we've heard in a long time. Sometimes they're a minute or two. Sometimes they're 17 minutes, like our talk with Sarah Bisbee about her family of six living in the suburbs and getting off car living. They sold their minivan and they went 100% to electric bikes. It makes it easier to share. It's kind of bite-sized chunks of what we do on the show. We're always looking for ways to get our content out there so that people can truly benefit from the conversations we're having. And we definitely appreciate everybody that takes the time to share that. We also talked to Jared Wesley this week, and it was a really good conversation with Dr. Wesley about democracy and and democracy under threat. Uh, That was our episode this week, uh, of course, on January 23rd. And and Dr. Wesley was talking about his piece in Alberta Views magazine. And uh, I encourage you to check it out. He talks about the importance of an independent Uh, judiciary, you know, political interference there, obviously alleged in some circumstances and proven in others. You know, we've seen it back in the day with federal governments. I mean, there was scandals surrounding Jean Chrétien's liberals, obviously the accusations around Danielle Smith and the prosecutors around Coots, of course, and what drama unfolded there. And then there's the chief medical officer of health conversation and health 
professionals and whether or not they should have that arm's length influence from elected officials at a provincial level as well. Really good conversation. And of course, all of that recognizing this issue of Alberta views. This is the January, February episode, the issue rather, democracy under threat. We wanted to remind you that if you go to albertaviews.ca right now, you use the promo code AVRJ. Just think of Alberta views, Ryan Jesperson, AVRJ at albertaviews.ca. You can save 50% on a subscription to that magazine. Makes it 20 bucks for the entire year delivered right to your door. It doesn't get any better than that. Before we get to the flamethrower, I wanted to remind you that our friends at Complete Care Restoration, their teams are hard at work right now. I mean, still deployed on site in some, uh, in particular, northern Alberta communities rebuilding after those wildfires this summer. But they're also helping people get back into their homes and get their lives back after some of these burst pipe scenarios, that cold snap couple of weeks ago this is something that they do professionally and obviously something that they do with a great degree of care and attention because these are homeowners these are family members that are working here they understand that your home is your biggest investment and they understand of course that your hearts are in your throat when something disastrous happens this is a team of certified professionals that responds to every situation with empathy aiming to alleviate the stress of property loss. And if you think that this is just words written by some public relations person for the website of a company, you wait until the first time you talk to them. We've hired this company before to build our studio, and we've seen how they operate. That's why with conviction, we can tell you we give them two thumbs up. That's our friends at Complete Care Restoration. Every Friday, courtesy of our friends at the DQs in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Baseline Road, that's the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, we give you a chance to, to take over the microphone, so to speak, to fill our inbox by bringing the heat and giving us your hot takes. This is your chance once a week to fire up the flamethrower. And this, on the heels of his January visit to Calgary and Edmonton. That was, of course, January 24th, Tucker Carlson, an all-Tucker edition of the Flamethrower. Ronnie writes in and he says, Jess, well, I heard the things that you said recapping the Tucker Carlson event here in Edmonton, and I'm horrified and disappointed. Nothing about his event sounds thoughtful. It sounds like a, light, a night of nonsense and grievance. I don't believe that the event should have been canceled. I mean, we've seen that that just plays into these types of people's hands. I'm not stupid. I know that the whole point of a lot of what he said is meant to stir these feelings in people like me, says Ronnie. I'm glad you attended so that I didn't have to. If I spent money on tickets to something like that, I could see myself rolling my eyes, letting out exasperated sighs all night long and feeling hollow and unfulfilled at the end. I'm disappointed that he still has an audience, but I guess to each their own. That from Ronnie. This one from Thomas, who says, Jess, I'm a dedicated fan of your show and I appreciate insightful discussions and the perspectives you bring. But I respectfully find myself in disagreement with some aspects of your postmortem regarding Tucker Carlson's event. Uh, Tucker Carlson, in my mind, says Thomas, is not a gifted public speaker, and his popularity appears to stem from what I think are false statements, racist, and misogynistic views. And it's disheartening to witness individuals gaining support and defense merely based on popularity, especially when their views may be considered to be harmful. I'm concerned about the prevalence of false claims and hatred on social media platforms, and it disappoints me when individuals gain attention solely for generating clicks. As advocates for 
being better human beings, it becomes critical to hold political leaders like Danielle Smith accountable for their associations and the platforms they provide. While I understand and appreciate the emphasis on free speech and personal autonomy, I believe that associating with individuals who propagate ignorant views and exhibit clickbait personalities raises ethical questions. Leaders, including Alberta's Premier, should transcend their past roles as opinionated talk show hosts and aspire to be leaders for all Albertans, not just their base. Thomas says, I understand and value the discussions that your show fosters, and I get that opinions may differ, and I hope that your show will continue to engage in thoughtful conversations that contribute to a better understanding of complex issues. That was very well written, Thomas. I appreciate that. How about this one from Gerald, who says, I get that for some people, we're always going to struggle with new Canadians joining our society, and I understand that people get concerned, but the silent part that nobody's saying is that we're concerned about non-Christian or non-white people. Truthfully, folks like Tucker Carlson or even everyday Canadians that may say they're not racist per se wouldn't bat an eye at folks from Scandinavia moving here. They would never worry about them being used to earn votes, yet those Scandinavians likely come from countries with significantly higher taxes, more social welfare, and thus likely support policies that somebody like Pierre or Tucker would call socialist. So when this rhetoric of immigrants being brought in for votes to change the country comes up, it's rooted in racism, regardless of whether or not people are aware of it. It's like saying these new immigrants can be tricked and manipulated or led to vote a certain way, or saying that they don't hold our values inherently and it's insane. Gerald says, while the current claims coming from the right, the far left is far from innocent, we saw you know numerous sort of go back to where you came froms during the parental rights argument or the Muslims are being tricked argument. This has all happened as well. Now, I do believe regardless of heritage, it is possible to garner support or fear in a community of recent immigrants because they may have a limited understanding of our schools or our politics or whatever. But the answer can't be to fear or manipulate or assume gullibility. It's to have open dialogue says Gerald. Canada may have an actual issue with immigration numbers, especially with those schools in Ontario that seem to be some sort of weird immigration scheme, but those issues are not to screw votes or change our world to a woke culture. (laughs) From Gerald. And how about this one? We wanted to wrap on this on purpose from Saul, not his real name. Saul asked to remain anonymous, says, this is my take on Tucker Carlson from the perspective of a trans man. Says Jespo, I'm an avid listener of Real Talk. I appreciate what you provide. I believe you do your best to present both sides of the story. I appreciate the variety of voices you host on your show. I believe it's very important to encourage debate and discussion. I believe in free speech. And I do not agree with those who are trying to ban Tucker Carlson from entering Canada and then shut down the event. I also think it's awesome that you went to the event. And honestly, I wish I would have gone as well. I was very much looking forward to your analysis of the event on Real Talk. Now, there's many things that Tucker Carlson and his entourage of crazy spout that are just plain nuts and obviously for entertainment. And I get this and I expect this. And I also know that he's a man who is comfortable using my existence and the existence of many other trans people as a tool to rile up a crowd. Part of me is terrified hearing you say that Tucker has said on stage that he has never met a trans person who is happy after undergoing, quote, genital mutilation and that this elicited cheers from the audience the audience made up of my fellow citizens the people who live in the same city in the same province as i do the people who go to work every day maybe some of them the same as me working blue collar jobs the ordinary people who hold open doors for others and who are striving to be good people like most of us are this scares me says saul and i have to tell you ryan that i'm disappointed that you brushed this off as just the most crazy thing he said. 
I've listened to you long enough that I have no doubt about your heart, and I consider you an ally for the LGBTQ2S plus community, and I just ask you to consider how hearing something like that feels to someone like me, a trans man who is stealth at work and only has a few close friends that even know I'm trans. Now, maybe I should not expect anyone to be shocked that Tucker said such things. I mean, I'm sure that Jordan Peterson also had some ridiculous things to say about trans issues. And maybe I shouldn't be surprised that so many of my fellow citizens also feel this same way. But maybe I should not feel hurt, huh? That my premier was present at the event where the things were said. I mean, I imagine he didn't say them when she was on stage where she would have confronted them if she did, question mark, question mark. Is silence the same as agreeing, question mark, question mark. If Tucker had said something about immigrants making the country dirty at his event, would it have been a bigger deal than the trans stuff? Would anyone expect the premier to disagree with him? I mean, I guess as long as he didn't say anything crazy while she was on the stage, it's okay, right? But correct me if I'm wrong. She was there the entire time. Did he say this crap before or after she was on stage with him? Does it matter? I mean, for the record, they were never on stage together. She was first, then him, but still. Saul says, I'm rambling now, guys. No, you're not, Saul. This is a great email. Says, I just wanted to reach out and tell you how I felt. I think that Real Talk's awesome, and I love what you guys are doing, and keep up the good work. I want to share the perspective of a trans man on Tucker Carlson and his shit show. And by the way, I do agree. He's smart as hell, and he is very talented. He gives the people what they want. I'm sad that so many of the people in my province and city want what he delivers. And also, if Tucker's interested, he could meet me. And then he could no longer say that he's never met a trans person who is truly happy after transitioning. The funniest thing, he could meet me and he would have no idea I'm trans. That from Saul. I love it. One of the best emails we've ever received. You can send us an email anytime. Fire up your flamethrower to talk at ryanjesperson.com. And when you visit a DQ in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Baseline Road, you make sure you let them know Real Talk sent you. Have an amazing weekend, everybody. I'll see some of you at the Edmonton Chamber Ball on Saturday night, and we'll be back here again bright and early Monday morning. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, executive producer Josh Dunford, technical producer John Hicks, general manager Katie Cook Chivers, account coordinator Lawrence Durlego, human resources Lena Shepard, website design Mike Johnston, voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.